Welcome to the Omni Sports Podcast, featuring your host, Bobby Lapita. Hello and welcome to the Omni Sports NBA Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Labita, and this week we're going to talk about my storylines of the week. We're going to give a player highlight to Nikola Jokic. We're going to be talking about some fantasy tips and strategies when it comes to streaming, IR, and game planning your roster. But before we get into all that good good, we're going to hear from our sponsor this week. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the podcast, we always have a fake sponsor. Maybe one day this section will be reserved for a real sponsor. So if you're a real sponsor out there, get on this. Get on this before we blow up. And you're like, oh, if only we had hopped on the Omnisports hype train sooner, our product would be known by the masses. Till then, our sponsor this week is brought to you by the concept of winning. That's right. This week had so much winning, whether it was breaking losing streaks, winning stat lines, winning the finals of your fantasy football league. And so now you're becoming insufferable because you think you're the best at fantasy football, even though you were in four leagues and you only made it to the playoffs and one and you did win that one. And that's really cool. But still, at the same time, you lost in three other leagues. You, I mean, we all know in fantasy, the most important league is the one that you're doing the best in. If you're in multiple leagues and if you're in one league and you're not doing well, the answer is to get into more leagues. Shoot your shot, because as Michael Scott once said, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, because in basketball, shooters shoot. And I know you're all a straight shooter. But before we're talking about shooting and amazing performances, let's head to my storylines of the week. It's a two-point game. All I gotta do is just get it in bounds. Bogey gets it, and then we go. Hey, look at the pistons. I want you to see them. Some of them are on their knees. Exhausted. The Pistons, after losing 28 games in a row, have finally clinched their first win since October. And if I sound too excited about a team winning a single game in the NBA season, the reason is because I am and I had an energy drink and boy, is it kicking in. But you know what else is kicking in? A feeling of hope. That's right, Detroit Pistons fans. After 28 games of losing, you have finally won. In a ways, this losing streak felt like an affront to God, him or her or their self, because this ties the longest losing streak in all of sports history with the 76ers. And when the 76ers did it, they did it over two seasons, whereas this is a single season stat. And what's crazy about this and you'll hear in a future podcast when I do a deep dive about all the biggest losers in history. And no, I am not talking about myself in that podcast. You may be thinking, Bobby, self-depreciation is so last year. Well, you know what? New Year, same shitty me, buddy. I have masked insecurity by claiming the joke of the elephant in the room before you could. So I've won this battle of which you, you beautiful person, you. 
Anyway, the reason this felt like an affront to God is normally there's a very clear reason why a team loses so much. When you look at all the major sports, usually there's a couple of things that leads to a losing streak that bad. One, your expansion franchise. So you're brand new and everyone sucks and no one's played together before. Two, you're purposely trying to lose, which is what the 76ers were doing back in 2014, 2015, when they had the streak of 28 games that the Pistons thankfully only tied the record and did not beat. But what makes the Pistons confusing and difficult is their roster is actually very talented. I went back and watched a lot of games wondering how could the Pistons keep losing this way, especially when they're not trying to lose. The Pistons have had a lot of top picks in the last few years. They've gone all in on their coach, Monty Williams, who I realized last week I talked about him and his contract, but never said his name. So, Monty, I'm sorry for that, but granted, your team was in the middle of a huge losing streak, so maybe it was better for your your street cred that I didn't say your name. The Pistons just feel like they were the unluckiest team I've ever seen. They were close in a lot of games. In fact, they were close against the Bucks. They were close against the Nuggets. In game 28 of the losing streak, uh, they played the Celtics and were winning and looked good. And I just want to say... Cade Cunningham in so many of these games played his heart out. He was he was the only one at times that felt like who was trying to make sure the team didn't lose again. There are some games I watched, especially in the fourth quarter, where it felt like the Pistons had like a secret joke and they were like, hey, what if we're like really bad and we don't tell Cade about it? That's like really funny, right? And Cade was like, no, this is terrible. He, in his third year, looks like a, a a grizzled old veteran. He reminds me of Tom Hanks in Castaway after a few months. He's just he just riled up and bearded and he's just he's grizzled at all the pain that he's taken. But I'm hoping that this will lead to brighter days for the Pistons. I really hope they can get some wins together so they don't end up having one of the worst of regular season records of all time. Losing 28 games in a row puts you on a trajectory to have the worst losing record of all time, which they're very close to. And I hope for the Pistons' sake, for the sake of their self-esteem, because after some of those games, it looked like many of those Pistons players needed therapy. And I think we all needed therapy watching them, watching these young men's hope be dashed. And the one thing I want to leave with on this point is while this losing streak was intense and rare, so rare that Cam Thomas of the Brooklyn Nets said that they were actually playing the team hard because you didn't want to be the team that ends the streak. Imagine hearing that from like a good team that, hey, we're playing extra hard against the team that has won at this point two games all season. Uh, because we don't want to be a laughing stock in the league. You saw this with the Celtics fans booing their team at halftime because they were losing. But the thing is, is that losing is temporary. In a decade or two, we'll just remember this as a short period of time, just kind of how many of you might remember the 76ers. If you're new to basketball, you don't remember the 76ers doing during, quote, the process where they were intentionally losing for multiple years and it was hard to watch. Pistons basketball is not hard to watch because it's so terrible. It's just hard to watch because it's 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 kind of sad. They they always seem to mess it up in the fourth quarter. They're so not clutch. They foul. They're undisciplined. They played with a lot of heart. So hopefully this is something they can use going forward. Two.
Next, we're going to talk about the Christmas Day games. Usually on this podcast, I wouldn't have a day of games minus like something like the in-season tournament be a story upon itself. However, Christmas Day is not the Lord's Day. It is the day for the NBA. It is the day where the cats will play and the balls will play. Sorry, I, I did that on the spot, but I'm a poet and you didn't even know it. Yeah, that's right. I like to rhyme all the time. All right, I'm done with this bit. The reason the Christmas Day games are so important to the NBA is they space out these games to take up the whole day. A game does not overlap. Everything is on prime time in the national spotlight. And every year the for Christmas, it feels like it's a day for the NBA on a Sunday, which is not the Lord's Day. And this year, a holy day in basketball. Brunson's missed two in a row, gets into the paint. Got that one. The push shot goes. 38 for Brunson. And with the whole world looking at him, Jalen Brunson scored 38 points and put together a clinic, allowing the Knicks to beat the Bucks. And Jalen Brunson this year is just playing out of his mind. When you watch Jalen Brunson, and I don't mean this in a cliche way, though it's going to sound cliche, he just plays the game right. He is so patient. He is methodical in waiting for the right moment. He plays with incredible strength and balance. It never feels like he's uncomfortable, and he's always able to adapt to the situation. I know that people always want to bring up if you ever watch a Knicks game I feel like the only fact the announcers know about Jalen Brunson is that he's 6'2 and that he's not as tall or as strong as the other players but I'm gonna spin this I think that's what makes him really good and I think that's what makes a lot of players really good and special is they have something unique about them and they do it better than anyone else can and what Brunson does is he is just like a he's just surgical he's like a a a a surgeon just poking and prodding and finding the right muscle and tendon to cause them to bend. And then he stabs them. He scores a bucket. I don't know the correct comparison in this metaphor, but watching him play is a treat, which brings me to Jalen Brunson's former teammate and a player. I want to highlight Luca, 51 points, five boards, nine assists, and he ended the rim and rebounds it and the game is over it's all over it's all over happy new year Luka Doncic who scored 50 points on Christmas Day which I believe tied in for the third most ever on a Christmas Day game and this is something they track because this has been a, a long time that we've had this tradition of NBA games on I saw a video that talked about Luka's game and basically if you consider it assists or if he was like the first pass in a chain of passes that led to points he scored or accounted for or affected 92 points in that game he was playing out of his mind and the thing that I noticed about Luca and as I've been watching him recently during this during this hot streak that he's on is he's really good at waiting to the very last moment to throw a pass and when you watch it the reason that this is impressive is he waits till the exact moment a window is open he'll lob a quick pass through that tight window and it's perfect. He's amazing at passing. He's amazing at setting up scoring. And when his shot is falling, like it was on Christmas day, he's just really fun to watch. 
I also want to commend Luca. He had two major complaints I think a lot of people had about him. First was his fitness last year. Luca is kind of notorious for not necessarily having the best diet. It's not bad, but it's not the best. And because he's played so much constant basketball throughout his, you know, last five or six years, whether it's in Europe or in America, it feels like he hasn't taken time to like get to the weight room or do things like that recently, but he looks a lot leaner this year. He's able to run around a lot more, which I think has really helped his offense. And the second thing that I think a lot of people complain about Luca is just kind of, um, they consider him, I guess, like a whiny player. Like he complains to the refs a lot. And I haven't seen that a lot this year, whereas last year I definitely saw that a lot. So I wonder if just the vibes are better in Dallas. I mean, Dallas is playing well. They have a much better record than they did last year. So I could see why vibes would be much better. So, Luca, thank you for putting on a beautiful performance that all of us mere mortals got to watch. <laughs> Jaime, just a career night for you. You end up with your first double-double of the season, of your rookie season, as well as a 30-point game. When you're looking at how you were able to impact this game to get your first Christmas Day win, what does that moment feel like? It feels incredible, man. Just a great team effort all around. Really put it on on the defensive side of the ball. Allowed us to go out, get out in the transition and make shots. You said you... The last performance I want to highlight from the Christmas Day games is Jaime Jaquez Jr., who put on a clinic and scored 30 points, which I believe is his career high in the NBA. He's a rookie and he just plays really smart. He knows when to take his moments and he fits into this heat team so well. Eric Spolster, the Heat's coach, noted that one thing that he liked about Jaime is Jaime played basketball in college for four years. What's been happening and what's been a rule in basketball for a long time is you can do what's called a one and done. You go to college for a year, you go to the G League, you go to something else, and then you can play professional basketball. You can be drafted by a team and all this good stuff. The thing is, really talented players, kind of their path throughout their career is they probably play on a lot of AAU travel teams and they're kind of known entities. There's this whole community within the basketball world and all the sports world of the athletes that have prominent futures and then these colleges are just trying to get these players and these players who are one and done players have higher aspirations. They just want to make it to the NBA. But in order to stay in the NBA for most players, you have to find a place. And so what Eric Spolster is talking about is a player like Jaime, who had four years on a team, four years to care about a team. Right. You see how a team grows and shifts throughout time when it's just a one and done your kind of goal is really to just highlight yourself for that next stage of your career. And so you see a lot of four year players. Maybe they don't have as much you know, talent, even though I think Jaime is super talented, that because they fit well into a team that they're able to succeed. And the thing with all team sports is what matters most is not necessarily your individual contribution, but how your individual contribution relates to those around you. And Jaime is fitting into the heat culture well. And I wonder if this gives the heat some extra oomph. Uh, that they didn't have in last year's postseason. We had our first big in-season trade. Technically, there was already a big trade with the Sixers and Clippers, but that really was from lingering tensions from the offseason. So I consider this the first real in-season trade. So if you're one of those sports fans that gets off on technicality, you shut the fuck up. I make the rules here. And I just want to say I'm so sorry for this really aggressive energy I'm putting out. It is probably very off-putting and I should do better and be better. But that 
being better is for another day. The trade took place between the Knicks and the Raptors. The Knicks received OG Ananobi, Malachi Flynn, and Precious Achua. And the Raptors received RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second round draft pick via Detroit. So probably be a good draft pick. Now, when looking at the winners or losers in this trade, because the second a trade happens, we need to make a decisive decision on whether or not a team won or lost. And I will say, I think this doesn't really move the needle much for either team. I think RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly are decent. I really like Quickly. I think he provides a lot of good energy. I think he's a really talented young player. And it makes sense for the Raptors trying to go forward. The Raptors team just kind of feels like the Pistons team in a way where you have a lot of talent, but it just doesn't fit and mesh well together. The Knicks, they got OG Ananobi, which I think will help with their, uh, you know, it's not the same exact position, but it might help with their size and Mitchell Robinson loss for the year. Uh, I really don't know if this moves the needle for either team, uh, but this trade is part of the reason the Raptors lost to the Pistons, because when they played the Pistons, it was right after the trade was announced. So they didn't have the players they were trading, but it was too soon after the trade to get the players that they've traded for. And so sometimes you'll see this in uh, basketball and you'll sometimes see this in baseball. You would never really see this in football because you get traded like you know, during the middle of the week. Uh, So it's always interesting when a team is shorthanded because of a trade or transaction like that. The reason this trade, which may not be the biggest and probably won't be the biggest trade of the next few months, gets its own moment in the sun on this podcast, is I feel like this begins the floodgates. I feel like no one wants to be the first team to trade or move assets. We're now 30 games into the season, so there's definitely a you know, eight or so teams that probably don't have any realistic playoff chances. And so they're starting to make changes or there are teams that are kind of on the cusps of making the playoffs. And they're like, okay, we need to make some win now moves that can maybe change the chemistry and dynamic of this team to make it better. But as we get closer to the trade deadline in February, expect the trades to ramp up and become more frequent. As teams mark their stakes in the sand for this season, whether or not they think they're going to be winners or losers. And I hope they're all winners because that's the sponsor of this podcast. Bobby Labita. What the fuck? Stat line of the week. In his first start of the year for the Chicago Bulls, Andre Drummond had 24 points. He was 11 of 13, 25 rebounds, three steals, and two blocks. He's the only player with 25 rebounds in a game this season in his first start. If you're unfamiliar with the Andre Drummond universe, this is very common. He will have an amazing game or two when he starts where he'll have an unbelievable amount of rebounds. And then after that, he'll kind of disappear. He's also a huge, huge liability at the free throw line. But you never know when you're going to get up. What the fuck? Stat line of the week. <laughs> And speaking of winning, we're going to head to my player highlight for the day. This week, I wanted to take some special time to talk about Big Honey himself. He was on the Michael Porter Jr. podcast, and it feels like we never get these in-depth, intimate moments with Nikola Jokic. 
like this one. Obviously, you're a two-time MVP. You know, we won the championship last year. Um, and one thing I've always been impressed with is how you continue to get better and better and better as years go by. How do you stay motivated now that you have achieved so much at so young? Uh, that's actually a nice question. I think, I think the motivation is actually becomes your lifestyle of being obsessed with the success. Uh, I think winning is a lifestyle. Jokic is a simple man. He knows three things, alcohol, horses, and ball. And this man can ball. And I just want to take a moment to highlight how good Nikola Jokic is. He is a two-time MVP last year, depending who you were. You could have easily given him MVP over Joel Embiid. They both played out of their minds. But Nikola Jokic famously lost the narrative story for the NBA last year when it came to the MVP. However, he won the most important thing, a championship. And what makes Jokic so effective to me is similar to Brunson in the opposite way, in that they both play to their strengths. When it comes to Nikola Jokic, he's a big man who a lot of people will criticize. They'll say he's lazy. But the joke I often make is the lazy smart student is probably the one who puts the least amount of effort and gets the most effectiveness out of that effort. And, and that's what Nikola Jokic is. He's the kid who procrastinates, who walks into the test and gets 105 percent when you can only get 100 out of 100. When you look at his stat lines, he can so easily put up a triple double. But what's unique about him compared Compared to other players who frequent the triple double rankings, <coughs> Russell Westbrook, is that he doesn't ever seem like he's trying to get particular stats. It really feels natural in an inflow of the game. For example, when I'm recording this last night, Nikola Jokic didn't take a shot till a couple minutes left in the second quarter. And the reason I bring this up is Jokic is truly unselfish on the court. Many people argue, and I tend to agree, that Nikola Jokic is the best passing big man ever. I repeat that, ever. Because when we think of big centers, dominant centers who've taken over the game of basketball, we often think of their, their offensive presence as a reflection of their ability to play in the paint and score. But he's able to find scoring through his teammates, which often, if you paid attention to Nikola Jokic's team's history, he has a lot of players who are injured and his on-off numbers are ridiculous. Jokic is clearly such a valuable contributor that it's boring. What this man does every night is incredible. He will have at least one or two passes that make you go, oh, Oh shit, Big Honey, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that for that for that sweetness, but Big Honey, I'm always ready for that sweetness because Nikola Jokic has really changed the way we view the potential of the game. He's a big strong guy and I think people often make fun of his uh his body unnecessarily or his effort because it doesn't look like he's trying really hard out there, but he never is doing more than he needs to. And energy conservation and efficiency is super important, especially when it comes to the playoffs. And I think this is why the Nuggets were so dominant last year is that they were just so effective and efficient. And that happens because you have one of the most game changing players in all of basketball history in Nikola Jokic. Who's the toughest dude in the league to guard right now? Gotta be a big fella, the Serbian. Joker. Gotta be, yeah. Man, that shit is unreal, man. Yeah, bro, that shit's unreal. That shit is unreal, man. I gotta take my glass off to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, listen. That shit is unreal, man. He don't jump. He don't Nothing. run fast. You can't speed him up. You can't move him. Like, the, I don't know. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that, like, I most 
like about him is like he don't flop. Like, and I ain't saying like you know guys try to sell cars, but other than that, like he not trying to get 16, 17 free throws. No, he trying to get buckets. He's truly a generational talent. But speaking of another generational talent. With the first pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama. Victor Wembiana had an amazing sat line of 30 points, six rebounds, six assists, seven blocks in just 24 minutes. If that were a full game, if he played double that, you know, the 48 minutes, of course, he will probably never play a game of 48 minutes in his life, especially with Greg Popovich as his coach. But imagine the stat line of 60 points, 12 rebounds, 12 assists and 14 blocks. That'd be like one of the best games ever. And what we see in Vic- with Victor Wimbiana is what you see and want to see with a first draft pick is there some moments of struggles and there's some moments where he's not always confident or he's not doing his best or he can't shoot the ball well but he has these moments in these games where he is just amazing and that's what you want to see out of your rookies is just potential I don't care necessarily that game to game you're the best player in the court but I care that I see it in these streaks and with Victor we really do And I've been really waiting to talk about the Spurs. In fact, I talked about them a little bit more in a previous podcast, and I ended up cutting the analysis because I didn't know if I agreed with it yet. Now that we're 30 games in, I want to say that I am more lukewarm on Victor being on the Spurs than I thought he would be. When the Spurs landed the first pick, everyone was like, oh, my God, this is the right place to go. If you're unaware, Greg Popovich is one of the best coaches in NBA history. He has the most amount of wins. He's helped with Team USA. He's done a lot of amazing things for the sport of basketball, and he's been a fixture for the Spurs for a long time. He's been there since the 90s where he very famously, as the general manager, fired the coach and then took over as coach because he thought he could do a better job. And after five NBA championships, I think he's really proven that. And everyone was so excited for Victor to go to the Spurs because he has experience, meaning Greg Popovich, the coach, with big amazing players such as Tim Duncan, who was drafted first by the Spurs. Basically, the Spurs organization for the last 25 years, you wouldn't know it if you're new to basketball, is one of the best franchises in terms of success and effectiveness. And as a Lakers fan, the Spurs have always stressed me out because for an entire decade, I'd say they were probably our biggest rivals in the West. But with the Spurs, I thought I would be cool with all of this experimenting, and I was, but now it just kind of feels like we get it because there's a lot of games where the Spurs don't give Victor the ball, and I get it. They're not trying to overwork him. They want him to play around and find his space, and one thing that is nice is since Greg Popovich isn't worried about being fired, he can view this as a long-term project rather than trying to get him immediately Uh, going even at the detriment to his future ability. But I feel like you're holding Victor back. And this is kind of a point that I see across sports. Being a first draft pick is very challenging because in most sports to get 
or the first draft pick, your organization or team needs to suck, right? You need to be one of the worst teams in the league. So imagine this. You take a very talented and promising player and you put them in the worst organizational situation from the previous year. And this is what we do with sports every year with the draft, especially in in American sports. And you can see why this can lead to some problems. There's so many times you wonder if a player just didn't end up in the right situation, so they never became anything. Victor is so good, I think he will be successful wherever he went or wherever he's gone. But I feel like the Spurs are now holding him back. They're making a lot of weird personnel decisions. And if it wasn't for the Pistons losing streak, we would talk about the Spurs in the same way we talk about the Pistons of like, what is actually happening here? Um, And so Spurs, Greg, just just let Victor loose. But my fear, and which is why I don't think Victor is going to eventually get a rookie of the year nod, is I think he's going to end up sitting a lot of games towards the end of the year, and they're going to be very conservative with him, which makes sense for a first-year player. But I think he won't hit that threshold so of 65 games that you need to win any awards. And so I think he will end up not winning any of the awards. Last in today's podcast, which has been very focused on stats and individual players, I wanted to give some fantasy tips and things for you to think about. And that tip is how to utilize your roster slots. I see a lot of players do this and I do this. I come from a background of fantasy football where you have one game a week. So you're just putting your best player in and you're just praying to God for the best. With But with basketball, when you have multiple games, it's necessary to have a position or two or even three that you are permanently rotating and so don't get in the habit of just holding on to players just because you can and one thing that you should really think about especially if you're in a category league is be willing to punt categories towards the end of the week for example my fantasy league my team is the worst team on free throws in the entire league almost consistently This last week was the first time my team had won in free throw percentage the whole week, and it was just out of sheer luck. And so when I'm looking for players at the end of the week, I'm not going to care about their free throws because I am already going to lose that category. So as you're all looking towards your fantasy basketball playoffs, really start to think and strategize. I encourage you look at the totals of your opponent from the previous week and compare them to your own totals. See where you think you can get some advantages and where you may be close and if you see already there's a matchup that there's no way you're going to win for example if you're okay at assists and you're against the person who's always the best in assists week in and week out then really consider is this something I care about when I'm adding players and I'm rotating them? And the answer is maybe not. And the reason it's so important to have these extra spots at the end of your roster is if you think about all these stats a p- using those slots for multiple players is always going to be probably more effective than a single player who's better, right? This is truly a situation of the sum being better than the whole of its parts. And sometimes it's tough to do that because we're worried about the players we're dropping. Maybe we've done really well with acquisitions, so the players we're dropping are people we don't want to drop. And with that, think about when you drop them. Maybe you drop them on a Saturday so you know that no one can pick them up on a Sunday. Or if you know waiver priority 
uh, changes or when you drop someone, it could affect what game you have the next day. So really look at your schedule, really look at these slots that you're, you're willing to rotate and really look at the categories that you're willing to punt or focus on. And you can become a more efficient and better fantasy basketball player. For all my Kauaian friends, Fantasy League goers, please check the Google Drive link that is going to be in the show notes. For everyone else who is not in my Fantasy League, because I can't root for anyone in my Fantasy League to have any good luck, I hope this new year treats you well. And in the spirit of what the Pistons ended up doing by being able to vanquish the dragon, take that monkey off the proverbial back, just know that if 2023 felt like a big year of losing streaks, that you could turn it around. And the most beautiful thing I learned when I was doing all this research for the biggest losing teams in sports history is eventually almost all of them became champions. Maybe it was not that year, maybe it was decades later, but winning is temporary and so is losing. So if last year was tough, it's only temporary. And I hope that this next year is the best and most beautiful year of your life. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Omnisports podcast. We can't do it without you. And this year, we're hoping to grow our content to make it even better for each and every one of you. So if you want to reach out with any suggestions or just highlight things you enjoy, feel free to reach out to the Omnisports podcast through email at omnisports423 at gmail.com. And check us out on social media, TikTok, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. Thank you and have a wonderful day. I'm going to go